Now you turn with me tonight to um, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to read the first 10 verses, 1 Peter chapter 2. We read this this morning at our communion service. <coughs> I commented a little on the seed thought that was in my mind. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, let's hear the word of the Lord, reading of course from the authorized verse. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 10. And we pray God will stamp his own approval and blessing in this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this evening is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2 and the verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. And my theme tonight is the preciousness of Christ. For a few weeks we've been thinking about the precious things of God in the Bible. And previously I told you that there are 72 references in the scriptures highlighting the things that are most precious to the Lord. That's a lot of references. I've told you that the word precious means something highly valued, something greatly esteemed, something that's most treasured. And for some weeks I preached on the theme, the precious thoughts of God, Psalm 139, verses 23-24. And then I preached a message on the precious word of God, 1 Samuel 3 and 1. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. The word precious, of course, means rare. 
And what a treasure the word of God is, a word in our mother tongue, a word that we can read in private and in public, none daring to make us afraid, a word that we can go to individual souls with and say like Ehud, I have a message from God for you because the Bible, be instructed before leaving earth, is God's message for us. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a living and abiding eternal word. And then we thought about the precious blood of Christ. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18 and 19. I told you then, and I believe this to be true, that the doctrine of the blood lies at the very heart of the gospel. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. Then we thought about precious faith. Second Peter 2 and 1. I told you that true faith is a gift. It's obtained. The object of true faith is God in the person of Christ. And also then, true faith operates or works by love. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. Then we thought about the precious promises of God. And I told you that there are very great and precious promises in the book. About 7,300. 30,000 if we add all the conditional ones. And every promise is yea and amen to us who are in Christ. Think of every promise like a blank check that's already been signed by Christ. And you can bring to the bank of heaven and you can say, Lord, do as you have said. We thought a few weeks ago about the preciousness of redemption, Psalm 49, verses 8 and 9. And then last week we thought about the precious sons of Zion, Lamentation 4 and 2. Of course, the church, the children of God, are, are precious to the Lord. Now, all of these things that we consider, I believe that in the most precious things of God, the answer is this. Christ is most precious. Isn't it interesting that out of those 72 references in the Bible to the precious things of God, there are seven of those references found in First and Second Peter. Seven times Peter, inspired by the Holy Ghost, uses this word precious. Chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 19. Chapter 2 and 4, 2 and 6, and 2 and 7. Second Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Second Peter 1 and verse 4. It's interesting that the fifth reference out of the seven contains these words, unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. You see, the fifth reference involves God's own dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And five in biblical numerics is the number of grace. And the third reference and the fourth reference has to do with Christ as the precious stone. It's the number of witness, the number of complete witness. Now this text teaches us that the Lord Jesus is precious to those that believe. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But listen to the rest of the text. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same has made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of a pence, even to them which stumble at the word being disappointed, whereunto they were appointed. You see, the truth is tonight that the Lord Jesus is not precious to everybody in the world. 
He's not even precious to everybody in the church. He's certainly not precious to everybody in the community. He is only precious to those who believe, to those who in time have put their trust in him, those tonight who cling to Christ and adhere to him, those tonight who rely wholly on him to be their personal Lord and Saviour. And if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Saviour tonight, then he is not precious to you. you. You know nothing of the preciousness of his person or his work. It was the great Octavius Winslow, a man that Dr. Kearns used to say to students, you should sell your shirt to buy one of his books. This is what he said. It is the personal person of Christ that imparts a preciousness to his work. You see, Think tonight of this. If we know him, if he's our Lord and Savior, then we will have a personal interest in him. And he will be precious to us. And there's many tonight to whom the Lord is not precious because they don't know him. He's not their Lord and Savior. And they have no personal interest in him. And this is the testimony. This was Peter's testimony. This was Paul's testimony. This is my testimony tonight. Is it your testimony? Unto you therefore which believe. He is precious. And out of all the precious things of the Bible. I believe this is the most precious. I want you to think of four things tonight. I want you to think of the preciousness of Christ's person. It says... He is precious. Now who is he? We believe, of course, it's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but who is he? Let me tell you tonight, he, he's the God-man. 1 Timothy 3 and 16, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ is none other than God incarnate. The one who has been described by Others in distant past as very God of very God. One who is co-equal with the Father. Co-eternal with the Father. The one who coexists with the Father. In other words, he was with the Father from the very beginning. Isn't this what John said? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. And the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. This is just two of nine references in the Bible where the Lord Jesus has explicitly and expressly call God. And we could ask tonight this question. What value, what price can you put on Christ? How much is he worth? The answer tonight is none. I believe that Christ is priceless. I believe you can't put too high a value on him. I believe you can't really put a price in Christ at all. He's of an intrinsic value. 
Do you know there's none like him? You see, he's not just a good man who went about doing good things on earth. He's not just a gracious man. People said, never a man speak like this man. That was the common people, by the way. That was the working class people. He's not just a great man who spoke wonderful messages and did wonderful miracles. No. The heart of the biblical revelation, he's the God-man. And we believe tonight in the doctrine of the incarnation. We believe tonight in the doctrine of the virgin birth. Remember what uh, the angel Gabriel said to Mary way back many, many years ago and recorded for us in Luke chapter 1 and in the verse uh, 35. And it says, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Wasn't it said in Matthew 1 verse 18, <coughs> And his birth was in this wise. Having given a long list of names as far as the genealogy of Christ was concerned, Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 to 17, then it says in verse 18, And the birth. Of Christ was in this way. In other words, his birth was different. His birth was unique. His birth was one of a kind. It was the virgin birth of the Son of the living God. And the virgin birth is one of the fundamental tenets of the Christian faith. And if you don't believe that, you can't be a true Christian. I want to tell you something else. He's not only God in the flesh, but he's Lord of all. Look with me at Acts chapter 10 and verse 36. Acts chapter 10 and verse 36. And there's a tremendous uh, reference there. It says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Do you see that in brackets? He is Lord of all. In other words, there's nobody like him. He occupies a unique position tonight. Revelation 19 and 16 comes to mind. He's called there in capital letters, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you know what that means? That means there's no king to equal Christ. Line the kings of the earth up all together and there's no king to equal Christ. It means Lord of Lords. There's no Lord to equal Christ. There's nobody like him. Like David, we have to say, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon earth that I desire besides thee. You know, at one time they were going to war and David's men told him, that they, these were the, the generals, they said, David, you're worth 10,000 soldiers. You can't go to battle because we can't afford to lose you, David. Remember, you're the king. Well, I want to tell you tonight, if David was worth 10,000 soldiers, then our Lord Jesus is worth 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000. He is Lord of all. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. I want to tell you tonight, he's prophet, priest. And if I can use alliteration, he's a prince. He's called the prince of life in the Bible. So I can use that terminology. The prophet to teach and tell us the way of salvation. The, the priest who offered himself the sacrifice. Who, who makes intercession on the ground of a shed blood on our behalf. 
the, the prince of life, the one who has got the keys of hell and of death, the one who's the only saviour of sinners tonight. Isn't it said of Christ, this man receiveth sinners? Remember, he taught us in Luke 18 about the public and God be merciful to me, the sinner, and told us that that man went home justified. Isn't that a wonderful story? Peter cried out, Lord, save me, for I'm a sinful man. Paul says this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did he come? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's the best friend of sinners. Solomon says, this is my beloved. This is my friend. The hymn writer said, there is no friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. I found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the best friend. The preciousness of his person. When we begin to analyze God in the flesh, Lord of all, prophet, priest, and king, the only saviour of sinners, the best friend of sinners. And we could, we could elaborate. I think you get the message. The preciousness of Christ's person. I want you to think secondly of the preciousness of Christ's pity. I'm always struck with the verse, and you hear me often quoting it in the end of Galatians chapter uh, 2 and verse 20. It's a tremendous verse of scripture. And over there we uh, read the words in Galatians 2 and 20. This truth, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live in the faith of the Son of God. Listen to these words. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Park that in your mind. And over in Ephesians 5 and verse 2. We're exhorted and walk in love. As Christ also have loved us. And has given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God. For a sweet smelling savour. Let me ask the question tonight. Has anyone ever loved us like the Lord Jesus? You see, we can rejoice in the concept of true love. Think of the love of a wife for a husband. The love of a husband for a wife can know no bounds. Can be a single, sacrificial kind of love like Christ. Think of the love that parents have for their children, especially when they're sick or unwell. Think of the love that children have for their parents. And we thank God that many children love their parents, listen to their parents, and are loyal to their parents. But you know, all that peels into insignificance when it comes to the love of Christ. I've told you before, and I'm struck with the thought, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That that hymn was written in 1859. It was penned by a lady called Anna Bartlett Warner. She was the daughter of a New York lawyer and she wrote a novel. She was a novelist and the title was Say and Seal. And the novel was about an orphan boy who lived in an orphanage in New York called Johnny Folk. And he was sick and he was visited by the Sunday school teacher every week. And on one of the visits, he said to the Sunday school teacher, Miss, take me up in your arms. Miss, give me a hug. Miss, sing to me. 
And as the story goes, this is what she sang. Jesus loves me, loves me still, when I'm very weak and ill. From his shining throne on high, watches o'er me, where I lie. And the boy was greatly consoled, of course, by that thought, Jesus loves me. And from that first verse in that novel sprang this hymn, and it was eventually compiled by Anna Bartlett Warner in 1859. Remember, that's the year of the revival. And, of course, this hymn is still being sung by the people of God and even the children of the church all over the world. Jesus loves me. How does he love us? He loves us eternally. I've loved you with an everlasting love. He loves you freely. It says in Hosea 14 verse 5, I will love them freely. It's without money, without price. It's without a cause. Can he say tonight, I've loved you because I've loved you? Doesn't he love us personally? Think of the words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Take the word world out and put it in your own name. Think of my name, for God so loved David McLaughlin that he gave his only begotten son, that if David McLaughlin believes in him, he should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved us sacrificially. The Son of God, Paul says, who loved me. And what did he do? He gave himself for me. And, and the love of Christ was such that he could not give any more because he gave us all. The Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. But Jesus Christ wasn't dying for his friends. He was dying for his enemies. But God commended his love toward us in while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Oh, what, what an example of love. What, what, what exceptional love tonight. You see, the love of Christ is stronger, deeper, better than any love on earth. The Bible says here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. Give his son to be a propitiation for us. First John 4 and 9. He loved us tonight before the foundation of the world. You know, I read of him in John 13, verse 1, having loved his own. He loved them unto the end. Do you realize tonight that the Lord Jesus can't love you any more than he already does? His love was unchangeable. Let me illustrate. Couples, sadly, can fall out of love even after getting married for one reason or another. And, of course, there can be a multiplicity of reasons. Couples' love can wax very dimly and can almost fade into oblivion because of circumstances and situation. But the love of Christ knows no change. John often talked in Revelation about unto him that loved us and washed us in his blood. His love tonight is not only proven love, but his love is patient. How long-suffering and kind and gracious and understanding the Lord Jesus is toward his own. Think tonight of how we sin against him, how we offend him in word. Think of how we offend him in deed. Think of how we offend him in thought. You know, take this example. Think of a, a, a deep friendship between two men or two women. 
And then a word is spoken against one of them by the other. A word that hurts. A word that offends. A word that ought not to have been spoken. But, but that friend can't overlook the word. It eats away at them. And they've taken offense. And there's a breach in the friendship. And you think, how could she? How dare he say that? And, and we've been offended. And the friendship is broken. And the relationship is shattered. But how often have we offended the Lord Jesus. And grieved and vexed his Holy Spirit. And how does he react? He, he could have broken the fellowship. Did, did he ever say to any of us, I don't love you anymore? Did he ever say, I'm not going to speak to you again? Did he ever say, I won't bother him or her again? No, tonight. You see, he loves us everlastingly, freely, personally, sacrificially, but he loves us perpetually. He not love us any less or any more. Whenever we repent, we come to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, I've sinned against you. Remember the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He gives us the promise. Thy sins and iniquities, I'll remember no more. He'd not hold it against us. Do you know why? Because he's so patient. His love is patient. His love is Full of understanding. Precious. His love was perpetual. Nothing we can do or say. Can stop him loving us. His love reaches right to the door of death and beyond. His love can never be severed. Or continued. If he loves us with an everlasting love. It's a love that never ceases then. It's an eternal love. With all our faults, with all our failures, with all our follies. He's saying to us tonight, I love you this much. And, and let me just prove that over there in Romans chapter 8. And uh, look with me at Paul's persuasion in Romans 8. This is what convinced Paul. He says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to do what? shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ our Lord. Do you understand that tonight? Can, can you get hold of that? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. His love is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. That's why we love him tonight. We don't love Christ because we have power and strength in our own selves. We love him because we're, we're enabled to love him. By the Holy Ghost who indwells us. Let me give you a third reason. The preciousness of Christ, not only in his person and his pity, but think of his passion. Let me give you a little rundown of the life of Christ. I've already mentioned his virgin birth. Galatians 4 and 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. He was born when the time was right. The time was ripe. God of very God, yes, but bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He, he was born in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not only think of his virgin birth, but think of his 
virtuous life. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the law of God. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly. He said, I do always those things that please the Father. Did the Father not say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased? The life of perfect obedience to the law of God. Think of his vicarious death. The Bible teaches Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Our sins. Let that break in upon us. Yours and mine. Wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with the stripes we are healed. Did Peter not say of him who bore our sins in his own body in the tree? Remember when he died. He died the just for the unjust. He died in our place. He died as a substitute. He died as a surety. He was paying the price for the broken law, which was death. He was our sin bearer. Our sins with its guilt and punishment were put to his account. He was treated as a sin offering. He was treated as a sacrifice. The wrath of God fell upon him. All so he could be our saviour. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever... One sacrifice for sins for sat down at the right hand of God. Do you know why? Because his sacrifice was a sacrifice of sweet-smelling savour to God. It was to satisfy divine justice, to appease divine wrath. Think of his victorious resurrection tonight. He is not here. He is risen, the angel said to the woman. Crucified Christ, yes. But he's also resurrected. Up from the grave he arose. With a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever. With his saints to reign. And because he's resurrected in the tomb. And his resurrection that was opened in that morning. Is proof that the offering and the sacrifice was acceptable to God. And he then ascended to the Father. He now lives in the power of an endless life. He's engaged in a life of intercessory work on the ground and merits of the shed blood. It's an ongoing work. And he's praying for you. He's praying for me. We're on his mind. We're on his heart. He bears our burdens on his shoulders. Then think about his visible return. He says, behold, I come quickly. And like John, our response ought to be, even so come, Lord Jesus. There's a story told about the Reverend Paul Finch who used to get up in the morning. He pulled back the curtains of the room and he looked out in the new day and he thought of those words. Behold, I come quickly. And this was his prayer at the window every morning. Even so come, Lord Jesus. You see, here's his passion. He came into the world via a virgin birth that the vicar... Uh, uh, a virtuous life, to die of a carious death, so that he might have a victorious resurrection, so that he'll have a visible return for his people. The life of Christ is precious. His words, his work, his ways. I want to tell you one final thing. Think of the preciousness of Christ's presence. Think with me tonight of one who loves us, but who's also near us. Christ is not a distant Christ. 
He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. His promises will not forget you. His promise is not to fail us. He's the unfailing Christ. Think of a going through a difficult time. You're in the midst of trial and trouble and tears. And someone who loves you. Makes contact with you. Who comes to where you are. And puts their arm around you. And gives you a shoulder to lean on. And maybe sheds a tear with you. And how much you appreciate that. And, and their, presence, their presence at that moment is most precious to you. Well, that's like Christ. He's with us on life's journey. In times of devotion, he's especially near. In times of darkness, he's especially near. Did you know that the greatest of all saints can go through times of darkness? Times when we feel we're alone, times we're afraid, times we're worried, concerned about the future. Remember Paul in Acts 27 and verse um, 23, he, he experienced a shipwreck. The ship was in a storm, it had no light of the sun many days. There was nothing but darkness and helplessness and hopelessness. And this is what he said, Acts 27 verse 31. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete. And to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Listen to this. For there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve saying. Fear not Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar. And though God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore sirs be of good cheer for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. There stood by me this night. In times of darkness. The angel of the Lord. Whom I serve. And whose I am. He stood by me. Right beside me. At my elbow. That was Paul's testimony. He said the same thing in Second Timothy chapter 4 to Timothy. When all men had forsook him. When he had been deserted by many so-called friends, they had abandoned him, they had ran away. What did he say? Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. Times of darkness. What about times of death? Psalm 23, verse 4. When death comes and you're carried over the Jordan, you're going to leave all behind. You'll leave your family. You'll leave your friend. You know what? You'll leave your finance. You'll not take any of it with you. I trusted you're laying up treasure in heaven and not treasure in earth. But you know what? Everyone who's saved won't have to cross Jordan alone. Why? Because they have the Savior with them. Listen to Psalm 23 and verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death. Do you know what creates a shadow? Or how you create a shadow? You need a light. And who is the light? The Lord Jesus comes and says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall never walk in darkness. Oh, how precious is Christ. Not only in times of devotion, in times of darkness, but even in the day of one's death. Will you cross Jordan with Christ? Will he carry you over? 
How precious of him to come and to be at our side, even in such times. Now let me ask you tonight, our time is gone, is Christ precious to you? Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious because of his person, because of his pity to us, because of his passion to do the work that God gave him to do, and because of his presence. I trust that these few thoughts will be an encouragement as well as enlightenment to your heart. Remember, he's only precious to those who believe. Many don't believe tonight. Many are disobedient. They stumble at the word. They're unwilling to repent and bow the knee. They won't acknowledge they're sinners that need to be saved. And this rock that's precious, this precious Savior, is not precious to all. Because they won't believe. Are you tonight a believer? Or are you tonight an unbeliever? If you're an unbeliever, then I urge you to repent. I urge you to come to Christ. I urge you to bow the knee and trust Christ to be your Lord and to be your Savior. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you.